Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome into another edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm Neil McCrady, Martin Paloma with me today as well. Uh, we're going to talk about the retail numbers that are out today. This is Tuesday, June the 16th, 2020. I think we all will remember 2020. I don't think we'll ever, no one will ever be happier than all of us on 2021 when we can take the, the zero and drop that bad boy and just put a one there and go, it can't be worse. Uh, so anyway, it is June 16th, 2020, 1018 Central Daylight Time. As we record this, things change rapidly here in the nightmare that is 2020. So we uh, always love to give you some context as to when we are recording this. Uh, we're going to get to a number of things to talk about the uh, the markets. The markets appear to be booming. Uh, that I'm told by my media friends, that's terrible news. I'll ask Martin whether that's terrible news or not. We'll, we'll talk about the markets. We'll talk about uh, retail markets. We'll talk about a lot of stuff here on the podcast. First, let me tell you that I'm coming to you from Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford is in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number that you call. You ask to speak to my good friend, Corey Clark. And uh, you tell Corey, say, hey, I'm interested in a Ford Explorer. I'm interested in a Ford Focus, a Ford Expedition, a Ford F-150, or whatever it is that you're interested in. He'll give you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. You can talk about you know, what, what, uh, what you're looking for in that vehicle, all those things. He's going to send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. That quote's going to be right to the bottom line. He's not going to hassle you. He's not going to haggle you. Um, it's going to take 15 minutes of his time and then he's going to put the ball in your court and you can take that quote and you can chop it around to your heart's content. That is your right. And I think it's very important in this day and age that you exercise your rights to the fullest extent that you want to, because it's very important that you feel validated and you can do that. Take that quote and you can shop it with as many car dealers as you would like to. That is perfectly within your rights. And, uh, you can either use that as a, as a base moving forward, or you can do what I've done. And what I recommend that you do, and I'm not forcing you to do it because I don't want anyone to feel bad, but I'd recommend it to you as a listener that you go to Clark Ford. You're going to love the product. You're going to love the service after the sale. It's not just words. They take care of you, even if you're not in Amory, even if you're not really close to Amory. Uh, Corey knows other Ford dealers and stuff. He'll, he'll take care of you. 662. 257-1900. Corey would like to be your car guy. He would like to be your truck guy. He doesn't want that to be forced upon you because it's very important that you feel good. But in the event that you want someone to be your truck guy and be your car guy, I suggest Corey Clark, 662-257-1900. Martin, if you would like to, I'm not making you, it's very important that you know this, that you are not mandated to tell me and the people listening anything about Pinnacle Trust. But if it would make you feel good and it would make you feel strong and confident, feel free to take this moment for as long as you would like to tell the people about Pinnacle Trust. Uh, I, th I think Stacy probably would mandate it. That <laughs> that well, I, I, but, but, that, but that's, but a, that's, that's not Stacey. you. That's that Stacy. Yes. That is not me. You are I, correct. I want the record to show <laughs> I am not mandating you to do this. I'm saying that if you would like to, here is an opportunity for you to discuss Pinnacle Trust with the people that are out there listening. But in the event that that is something that makes you feel threatened or it makes you feel um, shaky, then by all means say, Neil, I would rather not. And we'll move on. It would be really bizarre if I said, Neil, I'd rather not talk about my business. So I am actually going to exercise. I will my, not. I, I'm, I'm going to exercise my right to. Okay, that's fine. To, but uh, I want you to know that you would not be judged. Certainly not by me. I would <laughs> never. So I just want you. I, I I don't want you to keep. You're you're giving this way too much thought. If if you would like to take the opportunity now, do so. If you would rather not, that is okay. 
I'll exercise my freedom of and power, especially since there's only two of us on here. Um, you know, I don't have to really fight anybody for it. But yeah, um, I will. I will talk briefly about about Pinnacle. Um, you know, I know that time to time we get new listeners, um, or we have folks that haven't listened in a while and coming back. So, um, you know, the, I know a lot of folks know the story. Um, we were we were created a little more than 20 years ago um, to help folks kind of navigate the journey of retirement, navigate the journey of, you know, managing their savings and investments, which, which you know, in good times is really easy to do. Um, but it's in times like we've, you know, like you said, this year, 2020, the year everyone wants to forget, uh, this is really where where we, you know, we add a lot of value. So, you know, if you've been doing it on your own, uh, your savings, your investments, and your stomachs and knots, um, give us a call, 601-957-0323. Or, you know, if you're dissatisfied with, you know, what you've experienced at at your current advisor and, you know, looking for some other options, we would certainly love to to be on the top of the list. Um, you can also reach us through email info at P I N N trust.com. Uh, we're really active on social media, on Facebook, um, on Twitter. And I even begged for our Instagram page is just pathetic. Like, I don't know how to Instagram is a little beyond me. So like help a brother out people and go like our, our Insta, follow us on Instagram or like us or whatever you do on Instagram. Um, you can do uh, the Mind on My Money podcast page uh, or Pinnacle Trust. But reaching us the old-fashioned telephone is a great way, uh, 601-957-0323. We would love to uh, take over the captain's seat in planning and managing folks' investments and savings. All right, so we'll start here. Where's there? Today, uh, I'm, I'm pulling up on, on the Twitter machine. The Twitter Hold machine. On. Today, the, this is, and my source on this is the United States Commerce Department. Yes. So uh, I, I'm sure they are biased in some way, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to attempt to decipher that bias right now. I'm just going to take them at their word. This is also via CNBC, which I'm sure is very biased, but I'm not even going to dive into that. And it is also written by Reuters, which I'm sure is just awful. So I'm, 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 but I'm, I'm going to just take everyone at their absolute word here. And I quote, retail sales shattered already lofty expectations for May as consumers freed from the coronavirus induced lockdowns began shopping again. Yep. The 17.7% headline gain, including food sales, easily topped the record 6.7% from October 2001, a month after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, and beat the 8% estimate from economists surveyed by Dow Jones. Retail sales alone powered 16.8% higher from a month earlier, more than double the estimate of 8% from Dow Jones, and reversing a 16.4% plunge from the previous month. Yep. Clothing and accessory stores reported the biggest percentage gain at 188%, while sporting goods, hobby, musical instruments, and bookstores rose 88.2%. The government numbers, released an hour before the start of stock trading, added to an upbeat mood on Wall Street, with the Dow rising more than 900 points in the pre-market. By late morning, stocks were up more than 500 points. President Donald Trump was quick to post on the news, tweeting that it, quote, looks like a, all caps, big day for the stock market and jobs, exclamation point, end quote, even though there are no unemployment numbers out Tuesday. Excluding motor vehicles and parts, which popped by 44.1%, May's gain came in at 12.4%, which also is the best on record going back to 1967. After being almost completely shuttered during the lockout, food services and drinking places saw a 29.1% rebound in May. Some states began allowing outdoor dining during the month after the establishments were limited to curbside pickup and delivery. Total sales were off 6.1% from a year ago, as economists still expect the biggest annualized GDP in the second quarter 
that the U.S. has ever seen. So there's a lot to unpack there. We'll yeah. start with, we'll start first with your thoughts just on retail sales being up. I have tweeted, being the smartass that I am, that I will await for my friends in the in the media to tell me how this is bad news, uh, so that I can parrot. Uh, those sentiments out there into the world uh, because that's what it appears that media is doing so far. The only negative that I've gotten from that tweet is someone saying, well, of course May was better after April. May had to be better. And while that is true, my response to that is a simple, yeah, but there's a difference between it being better and being this kind of better. Yeah. Double expectations is like this kind of better, you know? I mean, that's like, you know, if you are, you know, expecting your team to squeak out a victory by one point and they blow the other team out by, you know, five or six touchdowns, like it was a bigger margin of victory. It's they performed a lot better or maybe the other team just performed worse. But in this case, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're talking about economists saying, hey, we think we think it's going to be eight percent. And then it's, you know, 17. That's like, I mean, that's a huge miss, but in a good, in a good way. Right. I mean, that means that, and something that we already knew. And of course, as you said earlier, you know, the, the news channels, all of them, it doesn't matter. It's, I mean, Stacy and I were watching Fox business news in his office the other day while we were talking. And it was funny. The, the headline was, um, market sell-off continues and the market is rising and I'm looking at them and I'm like, what sell-off are they talking about? I mean, I think they're referencing the one that was Thursday, um, you know, last week, which was a big sell-off. And a lot of people were like, Oh my God, this is the end. This is the end. Well, actually, if people study markets, which most people don't, and I don't blame them. I mean, I wouldn't do it if I didn't get paid to do it, but you know, in all rising bull markets that we've seen, there have been at least two periods in the in the sharp rising markets where we've had pullbacks of 5% or more. Guess what that's called? It's called profit taking. That's actually smart. And we actually did that for our clients last week. On Wednesday, we, re, we rebalanced our all of our client accounts because we actually rebalanced on the bottom where we were overweight stocks on March 23rd. We went way overweight. And we rode the, the wave all the way up to the top. And then Wednesday, we rebalanced and we took our profits and went back to our normal levels. That's just, that's just called being smart. You know, it doesn't mean that it's the end of something good. It's just being prudent. But that doesn't sell. Uh, that doesn't sell advertising, right? That doesn't make people want to stay and watch the news. I mean, I, I try not to watch the news, but... You know, I guess if the news headline was, hey, man, everything's great. No need to worry. Go outside, hang out with your family. Don't sure. sit here and watch me. That doesn't. Well, we used to say this in Mobile when I was in Mobile. What sells? Uh, what, if sharks? it bleeds, it leads. Sharks sell. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, if, if we put up a, back in the newspaper days, I know people don't remember this because these, you know, you had to, you had to kill a brontosaurus for dinner first. <laughs> but if we put a, a big shark or a shark attack story on the cover of, of the Mobile Register, you couldn't find the newspaper. If we put hurricane stuff, hurricane sell, yeah. storms, sharks, Dude, and football. If, if it bleeds, it leads, man. Storms, sharks, and football. That's what sells. And so, you know, when you're down there and there's a storm in the Gulf, I used to get frustrated, but I think about it, and I was like, well, that was a good business. There was a storm in the Gulf that may or may not pummel mobile you know we'd get these emails from uh we get these emails from our bosses that hey go ahead and do whatever you got to do for your family now because once this thing gets close you're ours we're gonna write every story blah blah, blah. you know it's like yeah. what are you doing I mean, it's, it's, but it, it, it's it, they were excited people in the newsroom would get so pumped up that oh boy this is the big one it's gonna wipe us off the map but we're gonna sell some papers i mean and so which is you know, just insanity I, saying that right <laughs> it, it, it is but but it's it's there's so much of there's so much of media is built on that and, yeah and 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 i have i've lost friends in the media over the last several months uh it's okay i don't care um 
I hate to break it to him. I never really thought of him as friends anyway, just because you follow me on Twitter and doesn't make us pals. And, and because I've said a lot of our coverage of some of this is hyperbolic. A lot of our coverage of this is agenda driven. A lot of our coverage of this is all about Trump. A lot of our coverage of this is, is just to, 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 to heighten anxiety because we, we, we're, you're getting ratings. That's all it is. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's fear mongering, no matter whether it's towards markets, economies, politics, you know, whatever it's, you know, the hype, the fear hype, man, that's, that's what drives revenue in. Right. I mean, it's, it's essentially, that's what you were saying with the sharks, the hurricanes and sure. sure. Maybe not football. I mean, mean, everyone gets excited about football, but well, I mean, you know, Home Depot would get pretty pumped up. I mean, if we're being honest, Home Depot would say, absolutely. They got to get all their stuff to board up their houses. They got to get all their stuff. Yeah. Plywood generators. You couldn't get a bottle of water. I mean, you couldn't find a bottle of water or Gatorade or, or, you know, milk or bread. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, but I mean, there's a, you know, I mean that stuff, that stuff sells. All right. So back to the story for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the story for a minute. So we tackled one piece of that. We tackled that. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge, huge revision up. I mean, and you know, and people say, people can say all they want. Well, we knew that, May was going to be that way because, you know, April was so bad. But if you actually dig down into the numbers, yeah, I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot of like, like physical retail locations that those numbers were coming from. But it was also the online. It was you know, uh, e-commerce spending as well. And you know, so it, it's, it's a mixture of both, man. And the machine is not going to slow down. And and I think the reason being. And I'm probably going to get crap for saying this, but but I don't care. I'm just talking truth. You know, the the middle American consumer was the strongest that it's ever been coming into the recession, right? So, I mean, into the virus. Well, and I guess it was a recession technically did start. Um, coming into to coronavirus, it's healthiest as, we, as we've ever been. So a couple of things happened during the coronavirus thing. We had, you know, consumer savings go up. Some of that being the stimulus checks were, you know, delivered. Um, but spending on credit cards, so availability of credit increased also, because uh, people just weren't weren't out spending as much. So they're so folks are going to point to it and say, oh well, this is just the you know the dam being released, and there might be some of that as well. But the economists are also looking at that, inf- all of that information, and they're forming their thoughts and their hypothesis based on that knowledge as well. So, you know, when they say, hey, we're going to be up 8% this year, I mean, this month, you know, in May in retail numbers, you know, that's also them talking about letting some of the water out of the dam. But, dude, when you're up 17, dude, that's, that's really, really strong. And GDP is going to be down for the second quarter. We all know that already. Right. So, so take me into that number. Uh, let, me, let me pull that story back up. So I got it up right here. Uh, total sales were off 6.1% from a year ago as economists still expect the biggest annualized GDP in the second quarter that the U.S. has ever seen. Uh, all right, I'm going to do, had you said that to me on the podcast, had you said to me, so Neil, uh, you know, total sales are, gonna, are, are off 6.1% from a year ago, and we still expect the biggest annualized GDP in the second quarter that the U.S. has ever seen. I would say to you, all right, hold up, Martin. Hold up, hold up. Put that in layman's terms. Yep. What does that mean? Well, let's talk briefly about, like, what is GDP? Because I know that number gets thrown around a lot, and or that term gets thrown around a lot in the number, and a lot of folks don't realize, you know, kind of what it is. And so for the first quarter, you know, GDP came in down like 5%. Um, you know, quarter over quarter, but let's talk about what actually makes makes it up. So there's a couple of different things, a couple of components of what our gross domestic product is, and it's it comes in at right around for Q1, it was right at 22 trillion dollars, which is a number that's you know even kind of hard to fathom. But um, 67 percent of total GDP is consumption, is from consumers. So you, as you can imagine, as you know, they're saying second quarter GDP is going to be bad. Well, we know that because we weren't consuming like we normally do. And the American consumer is the healthiest in the world. Um, you know, 18% of what makes up GDP is government spending. Well, government st- spending certainly 
ramped up a good bit in um you know in in Q2. So you know that'll offset some of the lack of consumption. Um, you know, and then a small piece is four percent of it is housing, which housing those numbers were just released. Um, you know, is is beginning to really pick back up again. Um, and then you know we had a negative two point five percent of GDP as net exports, meaning that we you know we import more than we export by by two and a half percent. If we were an export economy, you know that would add to the growing number of our GDP. But you know most people have never sat down or don't know what that actually is. So I thought it was worthy to kind of talk about that too. So I mean, so retail sales are just a part of you know of, of total GDP. So our that's the output of our country. But there's a couple of things that have, and so we are an import nation. Um, you know, for the most part, we we import more stuff than than we generally export. Well, we weren't importing anything during, you know, coronavirus either. We also really weren't exporting anything. A lot of our businesses, like the manufacturing stuff, which ends up being, you know, a, a decent piece, a large part of the GDP numbers as well. You know, the factories were shut down. And that's where I was saying, you know, the, the middle American person that could, you know, flip over to the house, you know, work from home, um, or they were the quote unquote, you know, essential workers didn't really get hurt as bad as, you know, like the lower income workers that are, you know, in factories, they were in retail stores, they were in restaurants, um, that were, that were shut down. So you have, you know, kind of two different areas that we're talking about, but, but manufacturing does make up, you know, a decent piece of our, of our gross domestic product. And that has all been on pause you know, a lot of the manufacturers are just beginning to open back up. And by and by, we are we are a, a much larger service economy now than we were in the, you know, 40s and 50s when there were manufacturing jobs everywhere, everywhere, you know, post-industrial revolution. You know, in the age of tech, we've moved into um, very much a, a service, a service economy with consulting, you know, technology making up larger parts of the economy. It's things like, you know, energy used to make up a large part of of our economy. And while it's still important, especially in the south, the southeast where we live, you know, there's a lot of big income jobs for the guys that graduated high school and went, you know, immediately to work on a rig. Um, you know, those are all in the energy sector. Well, energy was hurt during this. So, you know, that does, that hurts our local, our local economy, but energy is no longer the big piece of, of our economy. Now it's, it's really technology. You know, tech, tech is one of our, our biggest drivers, you know, in the economy. And it's also one of the biggest parts of our stock market too. And, you know, I guess one of the positive, the silver linings, you know, in a, in a reason you can be positive about this is, a lot of the sectors that were the worst or the most impacted by the shutdown are not the most important sectors of the stock market. So like retail is not, is no longer the, you know, like a super, super important piece of, of the stock market. While it's, it makes up a smaller chunk of, of the overall market, it doesn't have a large enough weight where, you know, a prolonged shutdown is going to cripple you know, the, the stock market. That's why the market has not been, you know, totally lock in step with the quote unquote economy. Um, you know, another piece of the energy, energy is now, it used to be, you know, I don't know, 13, 14, 15% of the stock market. And it's now, you know, three. So when you had the energy sector get kicked in the nuts, um, it, yeah, it impacted it, but it wasn't, is drastic. So you've seen the tech companies, you hear about it in the media, you know, tech is driving this rally. Tech is driving this rally. You have your Amazons, you know, you have the Googles, you have our Alphabet, you have Apple, you have tech. Tech and biotech are what are driving, you know, this this melt up in the market. And they're the largest constituents of the market now. So it makes sense that you would say, well, why is the market still, why is it running positive but we keep getting this gloom and doom, you know, reports on, on sections of the economy. Well, because they, they don't necessarily go lockstep too. So 
you know, market's moving because tech is booming. If tech, if tech was getting pummeled, the market would be, you know, would be in worse shape than it is right now. But, you know, you, if you look at the tech stuff, you see continued positive news in the tech arena. I mean, you know, just look at what happened to Tesla stock after Elon Musk launched two humans, which seems to be like those were the smartest people on earth. The two humans that left this earth for, you know, a little period of time. You know, you can't buy SpaceX stock because it's a private company, but people bet on Elon Musk's, you know, genius and his ability by by owning Tesla. And, you know, and that's a huge piece of the of the tech market too. So that's kind of yeah. why, you know, it doesn't go lock and step. So the market appears to be booming. The numbers appear to be strong. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving the politics out of it from Trump's all caps tweets to all the fighting back at him. Forget all that for a minute. Just when you yeah. look at the market numbers right now, and I know people say the Dow Jones is just a snapshot. The S&P is just a snapshot. When you look at all of the market numbers right now, what, what's your just general thought? Yeah, I mean, it's come back really fast. Um, it came back faster than I thought it would. Because my expectations were really that it was going to be, you know, late summer, um, you know, kind of early fall when we were coming back from the market, um, market expectations. So it did kind of, I mean, I'm not going to say it hasn't made me a little cautious, which is why we rebalanced, you know, last week and we took some profits. But but the other thing that's really kind of, you know, a tailwind that's adding fuel to this market fire that's a rocket is, you know, the Federal Reserve, and they announced it, um, you know, they had an announcement last week on Wednesday that they said they were going to keep, you know, kind of expect near zero interest rates through the next several years. So if the Fed keeps interest rates at, you know, let's just call them unattractive low levels. So, you know, you don't want to, if you, if you said, Hey, Martin, I got a hundred thousand bucks. Should I put this money <clears throat> in safe 10 year treasuries? That's going to earn you, you know, somewhere around a half a percent or do, you know, or do I put it in the S and P 500 index, you know, where I'm going to earn, you know, 2.3% uh, in a dividend yield. And I'm going to say, gosh, Neil, well, do you need income from it? Yeah, man, I kind of do need a little bit of income from it. I'm going to say, well, don't, let's not invest in bonds. We, need to, we have to invest in the stocks. Let's invest into dividend-paying stocks. So the Fed is almost pushing investors to stocks because, uh, you know, when rates are really, really low, that's generally a good time to invest in the stocks. And then the Fed came out last week and said, hey, we're going to keep rates, you know, at near zero for a couple of years. I mean, so to me, I just translate that to we have to invest in the stocks. I'm not going to fight the Federal Reserve. If they're going to tell me they're keeping what they call loose policies, then I'm going to invest in stocks because that's where that's where you're going to make your money. But the the deal is, too, is that at some point, this has to come to an end. The low rates have to come to an end. You know, and there's so there are some you know, like some, some headwinds to all of it too. And, and we can chat, we can chat about those. Cause I mean, there's, you know, there's actually kind of a few little headwinds that it can be navigated to where it doesn't hurt us. But if we're, if the fed and our government is just reckless in how they get us back to quote unquote normal, um, you know, it could cause some, could cause some pain. And we can talk about that too. There's, there's a few, there's a few things. All right. What what are what are the things that could happen to cause pain? Um, all right. So obviously, one of them we've talked about a lot. We talked about last week is, you know, if there's if the election is, you know, a total is a total wreck, and uh, you know, either let's say Trump loses, or there's you know, God forbid, some kind of crazy, you know, not peaceful transition of of power. Um, you know, that's going to cause you know, that's going to cause some, some headwinds. That's going to cause some uncertainties. Um, Don't you think if Trump lost, he wouldn't do that, right? I mean, there's, there's, I, I think no, that I is an unfair. I don't think, I that, think it's, I don't un, think that he would. I think it's, 
I think it's unfair. And even though his look, his Twitter account's uh, egregious. It's 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 pandering to a base. Make no mistake about it. Yep. Uh, but I, I don't think. I don't. I'm almost offended in the same way that, that. That I mean, are we really to believe that Donald Trump would even contemplate barricading himself into the White House at the end of his term and on January the twentieth at noon, saying, "I'm not leaving." No, I, I, that is insane. It is insane. We live in the we live in a year of insanity. So I just throwing it out. That there. would, but that would be the tops. That would be I the mean, tops. Look, Absolutely. There, the, all of the, when 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 George W. Bush won the election, and his team got into the White House, every every W had been removed from the keyboards all over the White House. I think most people thought it was generally a prank, whatever. Um, you know, I mean, stuff, if you told me something like that happened, okay, but that stuff's kind of always happened. But I, I don't believe, one of the things, I mean, here's the thing. If you don't really believe that there would be a peaceful transfer of power, whether it's now or in four years, then you, you really just don't believe in the country because throughout history, we have had acrimonious elections. Yeah. And every time to our nation's everlasting credit, there has been a peaceful transfer of power constitutionally. It's always happened. Yep. There have been presidents who didn't, who didn't go to the inauguration. Now, if you told me that Trump didn't show up for Biden's inauguration, I'd buy that. And would that look petty? Sure. Would it look childish? Sure. Would it change anything? Not really. It would give people some. It would give the the Trump bashers another another mallet to, to swing. But it really wouldn't change anything. If you told, if you tell me Trump loses in November, which is what I expect, I'll tell you that on January the 20th at noon, I suspect that you will see that he and his family are out of the White House. Their stuff has been boxed up and trucked off and, and they're out. And, and Joe Biden or whoever is the president of the United States and, and he or she will be sworn in at, at, uh, at, the, at the appointed time and, and, and will become the president. That's what I believe. I, I, that. When I hear people talk about that, it just it it doesn't even make me mad. It just kind of baffles me because there's that 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 to me feels like just just total partisan rhetoric. So let me ask you another question. Let's say that let's say, and I know in Texas they shot it down. Let's say that we get mail-in ballots as a as an option for for the November election. Okay. And let's say Trump loses with mail-in ballots, and he contests it. And I'm not saying that he wouldn't leave necessarily in January, right? But he contested. Sure. So like back to Bush Gore, except for instead of Florida, it's, you know, nationwide. So we have like a, you know, a, a messy contested election result. And let's, I mean, look how long it took them to sort out Florida and Bush Gore. If this was the whole nation. And I think, man, I think if they have mail-in ballots, there's going to be contested results either way, Right. One side's going to – probably the side that loses is going to cry foul and contest that there was tampering or fraud or, or you know, intimidation or bullying or whatever, you know, the, they might say. Uh, how long does that – I mean, and I'm just – we're playing what-ifs here because I have no idea. How long do you think that takes to shake out? If, if Florida took four – and I don't even know how long Florida took, so I'm not going <clears> to – I'm not gonna yeah. knock you know. Well, that took that, stat that out took of my... a, that took essentially a month. It was a month. Well, it was forty something days. That ended before Christmas. So, let's just say all every state could they would have to do it autonomously, right? Um, and you know, so the whole thing is well, contested. Yeah, but, but but we've had mail-in ballots for a long time. But absentee. But yeah. you know, and then you know how and 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 here I am not a conspiracy theorist. How many of those? actually get counted i mean if you don't have a contested not, not state all of them. yeah not, yeah not like if you don't have I mean, a contested look, me, state then what's the reason why count them this is kind of like where i am with the coronavirus is if if the election for it to be considered valid has to be 100 percent clean hey that's not happening yeah no dude i mean look, I, I don't I think mean, so either. i mean dead people are voting in this election uh that's gonna happen uh people who are not citizens are gonna vote in this election there's going to be voter fraud in this election yeah there's going to be voter suppression in this election. 
there's going to be voter uh, manipulation on both sides in this election, period. It's going to happen. In the same way, my, my deal with coronavirus, if, 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 the, if, the stat, if the standard is, hey, one case is one too many, we just can't open anything up, well, then we're done, man. I mean, you know, there, there is some common sense that's involved. If, if you go back and study Bush v. Gore and, and that election and what happened in Florida, it's pretty fascinating. It's multifaceted. It's, it's, it was all over the state. I mean, we, we could spend hours on <laughs> how we've done our elections, how outdated some of our, our standards are. Um, but, you know, I mean, we, we've, had, we've had elections in this country where the ballots were open for months for absentee votes for years. I mean, that's, those are mail-in votes. Um, how many of them are counted? I mean, you'd love to say every one of them are counted, but I, I don't know. No, that's probably not true. I mean, and so that's just, that's one thing that, so one of the few things that could cause us to have some, you know, uh, not fully rebound economically or, or you know, can, or kill, um, you know, the consumer sentiment is, you know, just chaos. Chaos breeds uncertainty and uncertainty is, you know, is the enemy of the markets. So just if, if we have a, if we have a chaotic election cycle where there's, you know, not, not the normal stuff, you know, not the, you know, what you expect in a general election. But if we have, you know, a, another quote unquote, Florida Bush v. Gore, it's just, it's going to create, it's going to create headwinds for, for markets. And really, I mean, that's a big one that, that has a potential. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm tossing some of the some of the headwinds, not that they're likely, but here's, I mean, we said, Hey, all these things are good. Now I just want to balance it out saying, Hey, here's some things to kind of look out for, you know, and, and, and I'll kind of, I'll just hit one more that I really think is, you know, is, is a big one. Um, and, and that's going to be like at some point. So, you know, our, our federal deficit has, you know, has swollen during all of this. At some point we are going to have to pay, the piper we've talked about this um you know at some point there is going to be inflation um and that's not necessarily a bad thing i mean if we end up really bringing a lot of our manufacturing jobs back to the u.s you have to expect there's going to be an inflation and i'll i'll break it down for why so you know let's just say that you you know you buy this widget in china and total cost of the widget is you know, is $5 to produce. You import it, you sell it for 10 bucks, you make a $5 profit. If someone is going to manufacture that same quote unquote widget here in the US, you know, our real estate is more expensive. Uh, our cost of labor is more expensive. Parts may be equivalent depending on, you know, where you get them from. But so let's just say now the cost of manufacturing that widget is $8 instead of five. So you're either going to sell your widget at 10 bucks, the same as the, you did when it was manufactured in China, but you're only going to make $2 of profit versus $5 of profit. Or the company's going to say, ah, we really need to continue that $5 profit margin. And it, our cost of you know, manufacturing or cost of goods went up by $3. So that's inflation. So we're now going to sell that product for 13 bucks instead of 10. Well, the price of that product just went up and then it starts kind of this domino effect right because now you got people you're paying a higher wage so that can actually afford more stuff so it just it stokes a little bit of inflation which is not necessarily a bad thing just as long as it doesn't get way out of control right um and then the other thing is just we we're gonna have to pay for all this stuff at some point so taxes taxes that, are gonna have to go up at some point yeah, that's where I was. I was um, this is a story from CNBC. I was going to get some, a quick reaction to it. Uh, I'm reading from it. The stronger dollar era may be on borrowed time. Yep. Stephen Roach, one of the world's leading authorities on Asia, is worried a changing global landscape paired with a massive U.S. budget deficit will spark a dollar crash. The U.S. economy has been afflicted with some significant macro imbalances for a long time, namely a very low domestic savings rate and a chronic current amount account deficit, the former Morgan Stanley Asia chairman told CNBC's Trading Nation on Monday, the dollar is going to fall very, very sharply. His forecast calls for a 35% drop against major con currencies. 
these problems are going from bad to worse as we blow out the fiscal deficit in the years ahead, said Roach, a Yale University senior fellow. The U.S. dollar currency index is up more than 1% over the past two weeks and is relatively flat so far this year, but Roach believes it's no time to get complacent. The national savings rate is probably going to go deeper into negative territory than it ever has done for the United States or any leading economy in economic history, he said. Uh, your thoughts on just that? I know you haven't a chance to dive into that to really study it. The 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 dollar dropping in in its in its value. What does that what does yeah. that mean to the common consumer? Yeah. So I mean, if you have a little bit of devaluation of of the dollar, essentially what uh, breaking that down into just <clears throat> easy to understand terms, meaning it just means that people's trust or faith in the dollar just erodes, right? Um, and you know, inflation can can do that. So that inflation can can make people say, "Well, the dollar is worth less today than it was, you know, a year ago because there's more inflation, you know, in that economy." And I mean, and there's a it's a tightrope walk to kind of get out of that because to for folks to have trust that the dollar is still going to be valuable, that would mean that the government would have to have to take on some pretty painful and strict, you know, um, policies to pay down debt to, you know, to, to kind of shrink the budget or shrink the, um, the national deficit a little bit. And I mean, and it's not that it can't be done. It would just have to be done very thoughtfully because if you think of where we are now, you know, super low interest rates, really high, um, you know, national deficit, um, you know, really the, the, Fed is buying, is starting to buy back um, bonds and they're increasing, you know, their balance sheet as well. You know, those things would have to go the opposite way if we started seeing the devaluing of the dollar. The only thing that, you know, that I kind of scratch my head about a little bit is, you know, the U.S. is still the cleanest dirty shirt that's out there. So, you know, let's just say that we no longer trust it. Let's go full on craziness. We no longer trust the the U.S. dollar has any value because the government's just printing money nonstop. And you saw it. You see it in countries like, you know, you saw it in Venezuela where, you know, hyperinflation in Venezuela. I think I said it on the show in maybe the beginning of our show. There was I read an, an article and it was an example of. Um, you know, a Catholic church in Venezuela would take up an offering every at, at mass on Sundays to feed the kids that they have in the orphanage. And, you know, all the offerings that they would take up would provide enough eggs for the week for the kids. Well, once, you know, the government started collapsing, um, they started losing the ability when oil collapsed and, you know, they couldn't just pull more oil out of the ground to, you know, to fund government activities and, uh, and to keep the country afloat, you started seeing this hyperinflation happening in Venezuela where that same church during the hyperinflation time said, you know, the same amount of, of, of pesos or actually I can't remember. I'm sorry. I said pesos. I don't know if the Venezuelan currency is actually pesos, but the same amount of money in Venezuela that used to buy eggs for a week for the orphanage could only buy eggs for a day. And so that's inflation where the cost of Everything is rising so much because no one trusts that the real value of of the dollar or of the currency, um, no one trusts that it's there. So they require more of it, uh, you know, for things like eggs. So if that happens in the U.S., and I'm, we're just playing a game here, there's I'm not going to force you into a, a right answer. But if we say the U.S. dollar is worthless, where do you go? Where do you go? What currency? What currency do you use? I mean, I don't the, know. You, the euro you, is, <laughs> I mean, the euro, they have, they're in worse fiscal shape than we are. I mean, they've been doing the same thing. They've been buying up, um, you know, bonds. They've been devaluing the currency. Their, their interest rates are negative right now. So, I mean, the euro is not a great option. Um, you know, the British pound, maybe, but still weaker than the U.S. dollar. So I, I said all that just as an exercise to say, you know, where do you go? Where do you, where do you put your faith? And then the, the great thing is that almost all commodities 
around the world settle and trade in U.S. dollars. So if you buy oil, you know, globally, it it settles in U.S. dollars. That's the that's the current. And maybe this is the era where you know cryptocurrencies come into place if we get a devaluation of you know of dollars. And that would be we could have a, a totally fascinating show with Marco about cryptocurrencies in the face of hyperinflation. But I mean, I don't think we're there. I just I'm just playing the you know, going way out on the extreme saying, what if the dollar, you know, devalues? I mean, and we saw it in the 70s and 80s, you know, where, I mean, I don't know, you probably weren't a homeowner in the 80s. I don't think you're old enough to be a homeowner in the 80s. No, but I wasn't. I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't a homeowner until 90, 98. Yeah, so, I mean, in the 80s, mortgages were in the teens, you know, the interest rates were in the teens, but you could also get a CD that was, the interest rate was, you know, in the teens. Um, but, you know, that's not the case any longer. I mean, we learned our lessons. We had to, you know, bring the budget into balance, which ultimately Clinton actually, you know, finished it off having a, you know, a, a balanced budget with a positive, you know, a surplus versus a, a deficit. Um, and then it, you know, it went right back to a deficit once, once Bush came in and started spending, which is, I'm not saying we need to be in a surplus. I'm just, you know, it happened. We had to, we had to, you know, whip ourselves, um, through the Reagan and, and Bush won. And then through the Clinton era. All right. Another story that's out and we're probably starting to run out of time because we're at the 45 minute mark. Already. Man, this thing has flown. This is from Bloomberg, the Trump administration preparing a nearly $1 trillion infrastructure proposal as part of its push to spur the world's largest economy back to life, according to people familiar with the plan. A preliminary version being prepared by the Department of Transportation would reserve most of the money for traditional infrastructure work like roads and bridges, but would also set aside funds for 5G wireless infrastructure and rural broadband, the people said. President Trump is scheduled to discuss rural broadband access at a White House event on Thursday. So when you see a, a $1 trillion infrastructure proposal, do you think good idea, bad idea? Uh, I mean, dude, actually, I, I, think, I think improving our infrastructure, I don't care who the administration is, I think improving our infrastructure is, is always a good idea. I mean, if you look at the U.S. versus other countries, we have a aging or crumbling infrastructure. It's, it's, you know, if we're looking at other tech forward countries, not, I won't say like, you know, developing nations or things like that. We have a, we're very behind in infrastructure, um, you know, not only from the physical part, you know, the roads, um, but then also from, from a tech standpoint. And you wouldn't think that, right? As, but you also, I mean, you look at the size of our country and it makes sense. Um, but, you know, if you look at China, Rural China is not, you know, the infrastructure isn't placed, but, um, but you know, me the metropolitan areas of China, the infrastructure is new. The, uh, you know, the tech infrastructure is far, far more advanced than, uh, you know, than the U.S. So I think it is. I think we have to invest. I think we have to catch up. Um, you know, and you look at kind of our airports. If, um, you know, I haven't done a lot of international travel. Um, I've done a little bit, and. You know, I, when I landed in Delhi in India and I walk inside their airport and I'm like, oh, my God, this is an airport of the future. Uh, we don't have that in the U.S. You know, I can't think of any airport in the United States that I've flown into and I look at it and I go, man, this is an airport of the future. You know, if you fly into New York and LaGuardia, you're like, holy shit, this is the 70s. And I know they're they're redoing LaGuardia. Um, but, you know, even our you know, our public transportation system, our rail system. I mean, we, I, should, I say that we don't even have a rail system. That's, that's kind of a joke. I mean, if you're in the, the Northeast corridor, they have a really good rail system. Um, you know, and I know there's some that's sporadic throughout the U S but we, we haven't, we haven't invested in the rail. Um, we haven't invested into, you know, our, our interstates are, um, you know, are aging. Um, but man, if you look at simple municipal stuff, I mean, Jackson is a great example. Uh, and, and Jackson will never get out of its situation without federal intervention because um, Jackson has no tax basis. Everyone is left. Uh, the taxpayers that are still in Jackson are footing, 
you know, the probably the 10% that are actually footing the bill for the rest of the folks are not getting their money's worth. I mean, you have crumbling water, crumbling roads. Um, you know, it's, it's, it needs, we, we need a facelift bad on the infrastructure side. So I said all that to say, even if Biden was our president and he said, hey, I'm going to invest a trillion dollars into infrastructure, I would say we need that. We need it. Um, all right. That's good stuff. What else? Uh, I, I know there's come up another couple of things you wanted to touch on. Is there anything else you want to get to today or well, you want to save it? Or No, I think, I think it's, it's worthy to talk, you know, kind of briefly about, you know, the, this recession was almost really is kind of a bookend recession started with the virus. It'll end with a quote unquote vaccine or a treatment. Uh, you know, and the one thing, and, and you listen to the news and it's like, Hey, you know, there's, we've got a treatment that's fast tracking. Oh wait, never mind. It didn't fast track. There's, you know, some study out there that debunked it. And then a couple months later or a couple weeks later, you find out, you know, well, that person missed, you know, some calculations or they misjudged or they did something wrong. And I don't understand the, you know, it, it seems like our tech community, our biotech community, and I may be wrong about this, but it seems like. I haven't ever seen it before where everyone is pushing in the same direction. You know, it's like all the pharma companies that are development companies are trying to develop vaccines or trying to develop, you know, treatments for this. And, you know, we were talking about it at, we were having dinner at the house last night and, you know, we were talking about football. We were talking about, you know, how do we get back to normal? And, you know, and I kind of said, I was like, I bet you we have a treatment before we have a vaccine. So for people who've had the flu and they've gotten sick with the flu, you know, if you didn't have a flu shot, or even if you did have a flu shot, you go to the doctor, they're like, yeah, you're sick, you got the flu, we caught it early. What do they offer you? They offer you Tamiflu, right? Or, you know, or now the generic version of, of Tamiflu. So that's a treatment for the flu. And I bet you as soon as we get at least a treatment that, man, this is, this is yesterday's news. You know, there's going to be no more, you can't fear, the media can't fear you know corona anymore because what you don't ever see is when we have a really really bad are you telling season. me that you don't think we in the media can fear corona long term <laughs> let me tell <laughs> let me I'm, break some news i'm wrong you, right Palomo. i'm we wrong can, we can fear this thing for as long as we want to fear it collectively <laughs> at least until the second week of november at I, least, I mean, that is, at least uh, to the second is, week of november i would love to see in all seriousness it's one of the hypotheticals. People said, what would you, if you could change one thing with, other than eradicate the virus or whatever, if you could change one thing just to see how it would be covered differently, I said, make it happen in 2019 or 2021. Yeah. One of them. That's true, man. I've, I'm fascinated to know how much of the media coverage of this is we would get. driven by an election. Yeah. I don't know statistics, man, but I'm going to say a large portion of it. And, you know, yeah, it, it feels yeah. like we've been watching a movie, um, you know, and it's I'm tired of the movie. I'm ready for the movie to be over. Um, but, dude, you know, when we've had really, really like really severe flu seasons. You never hear about it. Right? I mean, you may hear mention of it. Hey, this year is going to be, you know, really, really bad. And that's it. It doesn't it doesn't drive markets. It doesn't drive economies. You know, no one. I'm not going to say no one cares, but people, life doesn't stop because of a severe flu season, right? And a lot of more people get sick. A lot more people die, but it has felt weird because, you know, and I realize that, oh, this is a novel virus, but it's just felt really weird because of, man, it's just constant and constant with the, you know, first it was, as we said, flatten the curve, then it was eradicated. And now it's, you know, oh my God, there's a second wave creating. And I'm like, where, where is the second wave? So some new places are having a couple of outbreaks, but if you look nationwide, you know, we're in really good shape. Uh, and it's like, it's, there's almost nothing left to talk about, talk about. So we're, we're taking the, the anthill and, and, and blowing it up to the mountain so that we can pretend that we have this mountain in front of us. Right. And it's just a little anthill. Yeah, yeah, it's we've. I, I don't know. 
I don't know what I think. I'm, I'm, I mean, obviously so much of my focus is on one particular story because that's what I'm, that's what I'm working on is, you know, how, how sports do or don't return. I've, I've right. I read a, you know, yesterday was June the 15th, the Oxford school district put out a, a email yesterday that was originally designed. I think the point on June 15th was to address how the kids will return to school and it didn't address it. It kind of punted. Yeah. Just don't know enough. We just don't know enough. But let me tell you what we do know. And then they launched into all the stuff about racial equality and the challenges facing the school system based on that. And um, I found myself quite frustrated that, hey, you know what? Here's, here's the question. That, the question that we're asking you, the school system, is is very simple one. What are you doing about school in the fall? That's that's it. That's that's the question. Right. What are you doing about school in the fall? And when they when they when they have the nerve, frankly, to come at you with, we just don't know enough. We don't know enough to do that. But. But we've already thought all these things out about how we're going to you know to work on the the gifted program, how we're going to work on advanced placement courses, things of that nature. It's 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 uh, defies logic. My concern right now is that no one's, no one, everybody is so, I don't know. Politically charged. I'm, I'm being careful. Well, politically charged. And I know sensitive. cancel culture is a real thing. Everybody's so super sensitive. You can't say anything at all. You can't, you can't come back with, look, I, I get it. I, I get that, that you need to address racial equality right now. But there also is a, is a fundamental, are kids going back to school or not? Question. And if they're not. How, how do you, how do you justify that? Yeah. I mean, beyond just rhetorical uh, bullshit, well, how do you justify that decision? And, and, and it's June 15th and, and it's June 16th as we take this. My concern right now, Martin, with, with, with young people is very simple. We, we can't expect 13 and 14 and 15 year old kids to, to fix the world right now. That's not their job. Right. They need to get educated. They need to go to school. Yep. They, they need to be around their friends. Yep. There's, there's not nearly enough focus on what's good for our, for our kids. And, and so much of the talk, oh gosh, boy, allow me the superintendent of school system X to show you how woke I am. How about just come up with a plan to get the kids back in schools? Yeah, you know, and let's go from there. Let's go from there. Let's just let's let's slow down and and take this like kind of one step at a time. And let's get the kids back in the schools. And then once we get the kids back in the schools, we figure out kind of our protocol for how you know we're going to manage a virus that's out there. We're going to figure it out. Going to kind of manage it. Going to talk to the kids about, hey, if you have symptoms, you don't need to come to school. Yep. Wash your hands. Let's figure all that out. Don't and then once we get that, <clears throat> yeah, don't eat your boogers. Once we, once we get that done, then maybe we can start addressing some of the other. And I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be a national conversation about racial equality. There is, and there should be, and it's great. Period. But that doesn't cancel out the other thing, too. It's much the same way that I, I get back to my same thing on this. I get back, and boy, my friends in the media, you guys are about to be really upset because you don't like this. You don't like this. It's amazing to me that we can have thousands of people day after day after day after day after day after day after day, after day all over the country holding protests. And, and, and you're wrong. I've been consistent on this. I am for your right to protest peacefully. I am 100%. That's, that's, that, that's a First Amendment, First Amendment, not 12th Amendment, not 28th Amendment. I know there's not 28th. I get it. First one. First one. I support it. I support it in much the same right that I support the right to bear arms, and I'm not a guy that, that, that has guns in my house. I'm, I'm big on this. I'm consistent on this. But I'm also a logic guy. And if we can convene thousands of people day after day after day after day after day all over the country, we probably can open an elementary school. That's all I'm saying. 
And when people go, well, one, you have to understand, Neil, one, one of these things is, is a, a, a constitutional right. Okay, cool. But the other is not a necessity. Oh, a necessity. So you're telling me that the protests are now a necessity. Because I argue that. I don't, they're not necessary. They're not a necessity. They're a constitutional right. We have a right to protest. I agree completely. Absolutely. Power to you. No doubt. But the other can't have a political rally. What's the difference between a political rally and a protest rally? I mean, what, what's the difference? I mean, what's, that's where I'm, 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 I'm running out of patience, frankly, with people as it pertains to the virus and getting on with their lives. If, if, if we can gather people thousands at a time in these environments, then we, we, we need to start committing to, hey, yeah, we're going to open the colleges. We're going to open the schools. We're going to open the dorms. We're going to open the, uh, we're going to open the classrooms. Maybe we'll have some classes outside. Maybe we'll have to socially distance some classes. Maybe we'll have to work some things out. So let's, so, so, so why don't we as a school system then take a step back? We, we, let's, let's put the other stuff on the back burner for a minute and let's get the practical stuff done so that we can then take on some of the big picture stuff. That's where I'm coming from and I'm right. And I'm, I, I'm frustrated about it. I really am. I'm irritated. If I hear my voice, I'm, I'm, but I, I know that if I say anything any stronger than what I'm saying right now, I get labeled and I get they, the, the attack comes on me. And I'm, I'm simply saying, I'm worried about young people. I'm, I'm worried about them. I'm worried about young people. I'm worried about young white people. I'm worried about young black people. I'm worried about young boys. I'm worried about young girls. I'm worried about anybody that might be in the middle of a transition, whatever that might be. I'm not judging, but I'm worried about the mental health of young people. The society, if we, if we can gather, if we can gather all of those people in, in these places to protest police brutality and whatnot, which is, again, absolutely, you have a right to do it. And if you want to exercise that right, I will never be the one that says, oh, no, you're, you shouldn't do that. No, nope. yeah, if, if, if you feel compelled to exercise your First Amendment right to protest peacefully against police brutality, I support you. Am I being clear there? You are crystal, man. You are but I also say, if we can do that, we can open up a high school. That's, that's my point. If we can do that, we can open up a high school. And if we can't open up a high school, then by God, we've got to do something about all these, these other protests because this virus is going to kill us all, except the numbers don't say that it is. Yeah, the numbers And that's where in all of you out there, my profession, my field, my field, we have let you down because we are so agenda-driven. Absolutely. I mean, and, and one of the outlets that has actually been the worst about it has been Bloomberg. And while we've been recording, I just happened to, I've just picked my phone up while we were recording. And, and of course I have a Bloomberg update that says, and dude, they're so negative on the virus, so negative on the virus, but they say Beijing shuts its school after a resurgence of virus infections while Florida and Texas show signs of outbreaks getting worse. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a meshing of of two exclusive things and trying to make them you know inclusive of each other so beijing has an outbreak they decide to shut their schools down but we're going to tie in that you know texas and florida hospitalizations or numbers or whatever are rising and the two don't don't go together but that's the package that's what gets packaged and sold wholesale sold to us as consumers. And, I, and, and my initial reaction to fear that is it is fear mongering that is designed to lead to a second shutdown, to take away economic gains, to take away people's feeling of optimism, yep. to take away people's happiness so that in November they revolt against a sitting president. And let me say this as someone who is probably not going to vote for that president. OK, right. so this is not this is not Sean Hannity saying this on Fox News. I don't watch Fox News. I don't watch you. I've quit watching the news. I have to. I don't. I don't. I don't trust anyone. This is me telling you. I know my, the people in my field, and this. This is what this is. This is. This is fear mongering. Yep. Well, and so the thing that I do know is we may we may have a changing of the guard in January of 2021. That could potentially happen, but through January 2021, Donald J. Trump 
is going to continue to be president of the United States. And he has in, and, and I am not putting words into his mouth, and I'm going to use the exact words that he used, is not shutting the economy down again. So, you know, if there is this outbreak well, again this is in an the fall, it's, yeah. we're not shutting down again. This is an article from the New York Post. We'll leave it here. This is the New York Post. Not the Times, but the Post. The headline is, data suggests George Floyd protests have not caused coronavirus spike in New York City. Leads with oh, okay, officials the in protest New- in the New York uh, City. I was like, wait a second, that, they were in Minneapolis. Okay, sorry, my bad. Oh, official, officials, officials in New York have openly fretted that the massive civil rights and anti-police protests following the Minneapolis police killing of George Floyd could lead to a new coronavirus outbreak as tens of thousands packed together on city streets. Yeah. Yet, testing data released by city and state officials in recent days shows little evidence of any spike, a seemingly confounding development that experts say is attributable to a few key factors. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. We're learning to coexist with the virus. Uh, you know, and Alan said it, Dr. Jones said it well, too. I mean, we'll coexist with this thing just like we coexist with, you know, all the other viruses that are, yeah. that are out People there. People have to us. make smart decisions. I'm, I'm probably going to ask my, my mother, probably hearing this for the first time in, in horror. I'm probably going to get my mom to come on the podcast or see if she'll do it. She's 78 years old. Sweet. She's making decisions based on being 78. Yeah. She's not going to go to a football. She's not going to go to a football game. We she's get, not. We could get my mom they're, on the podcast too. She's 72. They're making. They're making. They're making sacrifices. Yeah. They're making smart decisions. You know. They they're they're careful about what they what they go do. Yeah. Anyway, we we we're, we're we're well over an hour, so we'll we'll wrap up there. This story's not going away. We'll be back uh, on Tuesday if that's okay with you. Is that is that good? Uh, wait, what is, yeah, 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 I'm here, you're, yeah, yeah, we, it'll be the next Tuesday. one, it'll be the next one where, we'll figure that out, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, all right, so, uh, thank you for all for listening, I hope that, I hope that was some uh, information to you, at least before my rant, I, I made it almost an hour without a rant, <laughs> so it's a big accomplishment for me, uh, we, we, we will stop, uh, we'll stop there. For Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready, that does it for this edition of Mind on My Money podcast, presented by Pinnacle Trust. Uh, please go to Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N-Trust.com. I know a lot of the people there. You guys have been introduced to a lot of the people there, not just Martin, but Stacy and, and a lot of the folks there. Uh, they're great. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of good information out there. Go to a professional uh, at, at this time, and all you got to do is tell them that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on this podcast, and you will save 10% off your first year's fee just by saying, heard this on the podcast. So. That's true. That would take you about a second, and it'll save you 10% your first year's fees, which is cool. So uh, for Martin, I'm Neil. Talk to you next week. Take care. Thanks, man.